Thank you. <laughs> I think Tim can get a job as an, uh, the host who, who does the most on the introduction. I was, uh, when he, when, I must admit, he, he introduced Dave Carter so well this morning, I thought, what's he going to say about me? You know, <laughs> but uh, it was, um, I thought it was better, actually, but, <laughs> but, but then I'm biased. <laughs> um, but um, I've called this evening God's Wisdom. Does anybody want God's Wisdom? Yeah. My alternative title for that is, you don't get Einstein without Jesus. Right? There's no Einstein without Jesus. You ever thought of that? Einstein wasn't a believer in Jesus. He came from a Jewish heritage, uh, probably had some faith in God somewhere. And uh, you often find that with senior scientists, don't you, that they actually see the limitations of their discipline and are able to go beyond you know, that, whereas in the popular mind, at least, you know, science has disproved God and so on. But uh, most senior scientists actually wouldn't, wouldn't agree with that. So we're going to look at the subject of wisdom and A, what it is, but also how you get some more of it. Does anybody want more wisdom? Yeah. yeah. You need it every day, don't you? Yeah. Well, um, here's 20 rules of wisdom. Don't make notes at this point because it's, you know, it's a funny story. <coughs> Just think, oh, 20. That's twi- twice the Ten Commandments. God wants spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. Dear God, I have a problem. It's me. (laughs) Growing old is inevitable. Growing up is optional. There is no key to happiness. The door is always open. Silence is often misinterpreted, but never misquoted. (laughs) You do the maths. Count your blessings. Faith is the ability to not panic. Quite like that one. Laugh every day. It's like inner jogging. If you worry, don't pray, and if you pray, don't worry. As a child of God, prayer is kind of like calling home every day. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. The most important things in your home are the people. When you get tangled up in your problems, be still. God wants us to be still so we can untangle the knot. Call out that one. A grudge is a heavy thing to carry. He who dies with the most toys is still dead. (laughs) We do not remember days, but moments. Life is moving too fast, so enjoy your precious moments. Nothing is real to you until you experience it. Otherwise, it's just hearsay. It's all right to sit on your pity pot every now and again. Just be sure to flush when you're done. Surviving and living your life successfully requires courage. The goals and dreams you're seeking require courage and risk-taking. Learn from the turtle. It only makes progress when it sticks its neck out. Be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are. What your reputation is, is, um, sorry, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. And then lastly, If 50 million people say a foolish thing, it is still a foolish thing. (laughs) I like that. I like that that wisdom is not democratic. Just because lots of people vote in a particular way. Well, just Brexit came into mind there. Never mind. (laughs) Doesn't make it right, although it could have been. 
Well, there you go. <laughs> Why are we talking about wisdom? Well, it's a whole genre in the Bible, isn't it? So we've got Proverbs, we've got Ecclesiastes, we've got Job, uh, parts of the Psalms, uh, and of course the Song of Solomon. There's a whole part of biblical literature we call wisdom. We've got history, we've got narrative, we've got the Gospels, we've got letters. But there's that huge, huge chunk of the Bible we call wisdom. So if we believe all scripture is inspired, then we should know something from those books, shouldn't we? So, um, interestingly, Tim kind of introduced me that Eastgate is part of my legacy and obviously quite a number of other, other people. And I don't know if you know it, you probably, probably do, that's probably why you're here. Um, we have tried to build this church on apostolic foundations, prophetic foundations, uh, on teaching, on pastoring, and on evangelism. So, you know, Ephesians 4 verse 11 has been a key verse, has been a key verse for us for many years, actually. Um, but I began to wonder, well, where does wisdom fit into that? And if you're an educationalist, wisdom is like a cross-curricular activity. Put simply, it comes into everything. So you need to be wise apostolically, you need to be wise around prophecy, you need to be wise around teaching, you need to be wise around pastoring and caring, you need to be wise around evangelism. You need to be wise every day of your life, don't you, in every situation that, that you're living in. So actually wisdom is a huge deal, and yet we, we probably don't preach on it directly, at least, very often. So I'm going to try and change that. Um, if you're listening on the, uh, on the podcast this is the first of a number you might have to flip around. Well, if you're on the Internet, you don't need to worry because you're just going down the list. It's lovely being speaking into the future, isn't it? You know? and, uh, um, and folks, if, for you here this evening to pick up on this series, you'll need to chime in. You'll either need to be on a Sunday morning or um, kind of, you know, um, look at the podcast later just to pick up the next bit of hopefully wisdom that gets preached. Um, so we're going to look at. Uh, well, then you've got just two other things by introduction. You've got Jesus. One of the things Jesus says about himself, of course, is that he is greater. One is greater here than Solomon. Solomon is the king in the Old Testament who, given the choice to ask for anything from God, of course, asks for wisdom. When Jesus comes along, he says one greater than Solomon is here. So Jesus is a wise man. Dare I say, Jesus is the most intelligent man who ever lived. And is still alive. There are all kinds of reasons why we don't associate in our society intelligence with Jesus. So if you went to the man in the street, how many people would answer Jesus to the question, who's the most intelligent person around or who has ever lived? Maybe it would be Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, Stephen Hawking, Einstein, or whoever your favorite scientist or philosopher you know, might be. Jesus is in a kind of different category, isn't he? Oh, that's all that faith and religion and spiritual stuff. It's not intelligence. But actually, we are talking about intelligence when we talk about wisdom, although actually we're talking about more than just what we, the world thinks of as intelligence. The other thing, lastly, is to say if uh, James 1.3 makes it very clear that if we lack wisdom, what should we do? Ask. 
just take a moment just now to ask God for wisdom. Hopefully what I'm going to, the rest of this evening, I'm going to actually help you along that road. But just ask him. And I wonder, I'm almost certain actually, there will be situations in your life this week or situations that you're facing that require incredible wisdom. So Christian life isn't just about not doing the wrong things and doing the right things, or that's a wise thing to do. But it's actually about wisdom, where right and wrong aren't the main categories. It's fascinating in Old Testament history that when the people of Israel come into the promised land, and where the kingdom is established under Saul and then Solomon and David, and the enemies are defeated, and the, you know, prosperity comes to the nation because peace and prosperity go hand in hand, where there's great freedom, it's that point in biblical history that wisdom flourishes now that's not a mistake is it that didn't happen you know just by happenstance it was god's plan but humanly speaking when people come into freedom they need more wisdom and we're great believers in freedom here that you come into the freedom of the spirit that you experience more freedom whether it's in our worship or in daily life But with more freedom comes the demand for more wisdom. And the categories of right and wrong and law, which we're all familiar with, and the law is a very wise thing. It's the law that brings us to Christ. But actually there are many situations where there aren't answers right or wrong, are there? As in black and white, law-based kind of decisions. So many parts of our lives are about wisdom. Is this a wise thing to do? It may be a good thing to do, but it may not be wise. Most bad things are not wise. But, uh, you know, there's a category of life that we have to live that is just around being wise, isn't it? Making wise decisions. And so constantly, when you... It's interesting in you reading Ephesians uh, 4, I think it is, yeah, yeah, where, where Paul is telling us to be wise uh, or encouraging us to have wisdom, to live wisely, that he follows that, uh, actually it's 5, 19, 17, 18, 19. He follows that with that command, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because where does wisdom come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. Where there's more of the Holy Spirit, there'll be more wisdom. There's a lot of Holy Spirit in this church. So if you want to be wise, you're in a good place. You guys are going to go out so intelligent. <laughs> okay, the universities, you can be knocking on universities and saying, can I do a BA and an MA and a diploma? And, you know, I've got so much wisdom. Yeah? We're often not encouraging you to, to develop your minds. Well, we kind of are in, 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 indirectly. But let's directly, let's encourage you to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your spirit. But the mind's in there, isn't it? Your mind is an amazing thing. If you go on, we're going to look at a passage in Scripture in a moment. But, you know, um, what the passage we're not dealing with tonight is, is that you have the mind of Christ. Turn to the person next to you and say, you have the mind of Christ. Now, it's great to say it, but I wonder if you ever thought, what does that actually mean? Well, um... That's not the topic for this evening, so I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> so, 
Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. And we're going to read uh, the second half of chapter 1 and the first half of chapter 2. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased with the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demanded miraculous signs and Greeks looked for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with you with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and, in, and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. That has got to be one of the most amazing passages in all of Scripture. And yet it's probably one of the most misunderstood and puzzling and, uh, and argued about passages that there are. It's actually quite a cohesive whole in itself. Um, people have ranked it alongside 1 Corinthians 13 and other well-known passages, uh, you know, just for its, its beauty and its form, much of which, unfortunately, is lost in English. So if you, um, let me recommend a book to you. Um, many of you have benefited from reading Kenneth Bailey's uh, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. He's done on one on one Corinthians called Paul Through Mediterranean Eyes. And it's actually a study of one Corinthians. Um, there's a lovely bit in it uh, that gives us the context in which Paul is writing. Let me just read it to you. Um, anybody come across a guy called Dio Chrysostom? Oh, it sounds like a pain in somewhere. <laughs> Dio Chrysostom. He was born in AD 40. And he visited the city of Corinth, and his discourses commented on his visit. He noted the large numbers gathered at Corinth and attributed this to the harbors, 
the prostitutes and to the fact that a city was situated at the crossroads of Greece. He noted that when the Ismian Games were held, everyone was at Isthmus. While, while While there, one could hear, and this is the quotation from his discourses, crowds of wretched sophists... Uh, around Poseidon's temple, shouting and reviling one another. Now, the sophists were part of the wisdom tradition at that day, but they are shouting and reviling one another, and their disciples, as they were called, fighting with one another. Many writers reading aloud their stupid works, many poets reciting their poems, and others applauding them, many jugglers showing their tricks, many fortune tellers interpreting fortunes, Lawyers innumerable perverting judgment, nothing changing there, and, I'm sorry, sorry, Tim, and, uh, <laughs> and peddlers, not a few peddling whatever they happen to have. That's the first century Corinth for you, and it's a bit of a messy place, isn't it? Everybody's shouting their own opinions, writing their own writings, writing their own poems, and actually even fighting with one another. Fortune-telling, prostitution. Sounds like today, doesn't it? So Paul is writing into a a time that's not dissimilar to our own. Many people have this kind of chronological snobbery that, you know, things were really bad in the past and we've been gradually getting better. There's still a kind of overflow of evolutionary optimism going on in our society. And many things are improving, but many things are just as bad as they've ever been. And that kind of illustrates it, doesn't it? And, uh, and what, what, um, what Bailey goes on in his book to, to describe is actually the genius of this passage. And the genius of this passage is kind of twofold because he's appealing to which two groups of people? The Jews and, and the Greeks, isn't he? So this passage from verse 18 to 2 verse 5 is actually styled on Isaiah 50 verses, uh, I think it's, let's get the verses right, 5 to 11. And that passage is about the suffering servant. The suffering servant, of course, is one of the prophetic passages about Jesus, the Messiah. So rhetorically, I don't know if you know much about it, about this and you know, again, recommend um, Bailey's book, but, you know, it has a pattern, a sort of A, B, C, B, A kind of pattern to it. In other words, as you, even in English, you get some of the repetition of wise and foolish and so on and so forth. And you can kind of, you know, I, I can't portray this to you, but actually it echoes the same kind of pattern as Isaiah, uh, you know, 50 verses 5 to 11. Not only that... But it also is patterned at the same time on a funeral or, uh, oration, that's, you know, a speech given at a funeral, by somebody called Pericles, uh, you know, a Greek writer. I don't know much about Greek history myself. But so, so what's Paul doing here in this one passage? He's appealing to the Jewish mind, because the Jewish mind will know those passages, because the, you know, they knew their prophecy, they knew Isaiah, and of course they were looking for Isaiah. So the very pattern of what he writes is effectively saying, you're looking for the Messiah, here he is. You will hear, the Jewish mind will hear the pattern of Isaiah 50 as Paul reads it out. The Greek mind 
Because Pericles' funeral oration was so well known, the Greek mind will be hearing echoes of a, uh, you know, a speech that's given. Except this isn't a, you know, in fact, the, the Paul's, Paul's passage is talking about death, but a very special death. In fact, he's equating wisdom or contrasting Greek wisdom with, you know, this message of Christ and him crucified. Very clever, isn't it? Genius, in fact. In fact, some people, have, some people have read this and thought, well, Paul must be knocking human wisdom then. When in one sense he is, right? Human wisdom doesn't get you very far. Even Plato apparently said that God's wisdom is better than human wisdom. Well, that's a great quote, isn't it? Any, anybody into Plato here? Any Platonists? Platonists? Pla- yeah, anyway. <laughs> it's all gone out of fashion, isn't it? Anyway, uh, he said that himself. And yet the genius of Paul is that he seems to be being rather anti-intellectual, anti the world's wisdom, but he's being so clever about it that, you know, there's, there's this incredible appeal. So on the one, one hand, he's not, he actually he's not being anti-intellectual, he's not anti-learning. He's just saying, let's see it in its right perspective. Let's see that actually in this world, and the same is true today, you know, some people will look, will, people will look all, in all kinds of places for how to live their lives. If you go into Waterstones, or probably in the internet, but, you know, I like bookshops, so, you know, you go into Waterstones, and the self-help section is huge. The New Age section is huge. People are wondering, how do I live my life? How do I sort out my priorities? How do I do this? How do I do that? Mindfulness is a huge deal at the moment, isn't it? You know, you can go to Watchtower and see a whole table about mindfulness. Because people are searching, how do I live my life? And here's Paul saying, you need wisdom. But that wisdom doesn't come from man. In fact, it outstrips man. In fact, it almost like it embarrasses man's wisdom. So if you really want wisdom, you've got to find a different source to the world. Now, sadly, people have read this passage and thought, well, I'm, you know, Paul is just kind of knocking, learning. Um, but actually, he's being very learned in the way that he's, he's point, pointing people away from man's wisdom and to God's wisdom. Jesus, he, was, he says, has become wisdom from God. So if you want to put this in a nutshell, how, what is wisdom, biblically speaking? It's Jesus. Jesus is the wisdom of God and the power of God. And there's something here around, you know, his, the cross and the preaching of the gospel that really is at the heart of wisdom. You want to be wise? Then Jesus is your man. What Jesus did is at the heart of wisdom. And if you look with me, he kind of expounds on that a little bit more. When he, In verse 30 it says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Just picture yourself for the moment. Actually, in the past, I would have said, see yourself in a big library. Imagine a library with all the knowledge of the world, all the wisdom of the world. Now, 
you've got to imagine the internet. That's very difficult to imagine, but because uh, most of um, the so-called wisdom is on the internet. There's a lot of rubbish on the internet, but you know it's out there electronically, isn't it? Just picture that in your mind, though. If you could replace all those books and all that internet learning with three words, when I say replace, I mean replace, but also kind of sum up all the world's wisdom, sum up all the wisdom that's available to you, these three words would do it. Righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Righteousness, holiness. In fact, I've tried to get three R's, so I've gone for righteousness, recreation, and redemption. Preachers like words that begin with the same letter. Why is righteousness at the heart of wisdom? Well, there's no knowledge of God without righteousness. The whole of the Old Testament is the story of how the Jews tried to get right with God. But the gospel is a righteousness apart from the law. If you want Christ's righteousness, it comes by faith. And just simply by believing in Jesus, you are receiving righteousness. Your sins are forgiven and you are given the righteousness of Christ. Not only do you have the mind of Christ, you have the righteousness of Christ. So God looks at you and says, you're perfect. Now this doesn't make you able to uh, be in all your actions perfect straight away because you know there, there's still work to be done but when he looks at you he's looking at Christ and his righteousness so there are no sinners in this room put your hand up if you're a sinner glory well you wouldn't do it now would you because I just told you you weren't but uh, and that's very offensive isn't it you know, and that sounds very arrogant it's not arrogance to actually receive as a gift what God has given you It's not arrogant, is it? It's not arrogant because you didn't have to do anything about it. It's not arrogant because you didn't merit it. It's not arrogant because you didn't deserve it. It's not arrogant because actually, you know, no matter how you tried to obey God's ways, you would never become righteous in your own efforts. Righteousness is a free gift. But that righteousness brings you into right relationship with God, right relationship within yourself, and then eventually right relationship with other people. That's genius, isn't it? That the one act of Jesus dying on the cross is an impartation of something. Not just a washing away of sin, but an impartation of righteousness to your heart. Put your hand on your heart say, I am righteous. I am am damn well righteous. (laughs) I mean, you've got to get that, folks. You've got to get that. If you're going to be the most powerful people in the world, and you are... If you are going to be the wisest people in the world, and you are, you've got to know that you are righteous. Why? Because the Bible says so. (laughs) Paul is saying, Paul is contrasting human wisdom with God's wisdom. You see, God is bigger than the internet. I mean, the internet is just another one of those metaphors that God has for showing what a genius he is. The Holy Spirit is the greatest search engine in the world. And you now, because of Christ's righteousness, have an entry into all the knowledge of the world. 
There is nothing you cannot know if you seek for it in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he knows everything. I'm not saying he's going to reveal it all to you in this, in this life. But we are talking about, I mean, how many PhDs has God got? How many times has he been made honorary professor? I mean, he ought to be the honorary professor. The sad thing about the university I went to is that its motto was, be still. Full stop. Actually, that's not quite correct. Be still and know. I mean, sounds a genius title, doesn't it? Or genius motto. Be still and know. Actually, it's a perversion of, a, of the Bible verse that you're very well, that you, you will know very well. Be still and know that I am God. See what the world has done? Even in its wisdom, the world, you know, has to kind of almost like copy God's wisdom. And yet, of course, it, it fails disastrously. Be still and know that I am God. How would have that transformed the university life if we'd all believe that? And some of us did. But, you know, but that was, that was exalting human wisdom over godly wisdom. I have a little phrase that's going around in my mind at the moment. Secularism has failed. Would you like to make that as a declaration? <laughs> Secularism has failed. It's failing all over the place, isn't it? Because people, God has been taken out of society. You know, God's been taken out of our media. God has been taken out of so many areas of our lives. And this is not to be dismal and, you know, woe, woe betide. And, because actually there are amazing things being done. And God is advancing his kingdom. You know, and, we, and many people are being salt and light in politics and media and medicine and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, at the moment, it's like secularism rules, but secularism is a sick beast. It really is. But that's an opportunity, to, you know, not for us to be kind of, you know, just pointing the finger at that. That's the opportunity for us to kind of ride in <laughs> with God's wisdom and change the whole thing. As righteous people, as recreated people who have been made holy. So one of the big questions that people have is, well, how do I, interestingly, in our society, how do I live a good life? How do I find my true identity? The whole debate around transgenderism, the whole debate about LGBT, you know, identity, is one, ultimately, of identity. Who am I? How do I know who I am? How do I know, you know, what's my sexuality? You know, no longer do I have a binary choice. I've got so many choices, I don't know which one to make. Can I be a boy today and a girl tomorrow? And something in between on every other day. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? But if you say you take God out of anything, and what happens? Chaos reigns. That's what was there before God showed up. Genesis 1, wasn't it? It was chaos. It was dark. And the Holy Spirit brooded on it and began to make things that were good. People who knew who they were because they knew who had made them. Made in the image of God. That's where my identity comes out of as a Christian. I know who I am because I know what God has done in me. And so we have been, we've been made new creations. And so, you know, that, that is wisdom. No, actually knowing who you are. Is wisdom, isn't it? But knowing who you are for us is knowing who the father of the universe is and who we are as his children 
and who are and what our royal identity is in him sons and daughters of the king that's wisdom have you ever met people who are confused about who they are they're not very wise are they maybe very intelligent in a worldly sense but often not very wise because wisdom starts well one of the starting places of wisdom is knowing who you are having having it settled and in our terms, knowing the Father, knowing that we're his children, knowing that we are sons and daughters of the King. That's real wisdom. And redemption. Redemption's a, a lovely word, isn't it? Can we just say it together? Redemption. Okay. It's a huge, huge word, isn't it? You have been redeemed, but not only have you been redeemed for eternity. I mean, it's the most, I mean, how, people don't see this a lot of the time, isn't it? How unwise not to make preparation for eternity. Well, that's all right. We don't believe in it, so we're not making any preparation. That is so dumb. You know, there aren't many lessons you go at school or courses you can take about eternity. Why is that? Why can't you get a PhD in heaven? <laughs> Heavenly studies. Well, there's probably somebody out there that's done a paper on it. You know. <laughs> and, but do you, do you see what's happened? The most important thing in your life is the knowing where you're going when this short blip of a life, four score years and ten, is all done and dusted. And it's absolute foolishness to think that you're going to live for 50, 60, 70, 80 years and that's it. It really is daft. It's idiotic. If you throw the doctrine into hell into that, it's even more stupid. What was it Pascal's wager? Do you know about Pascal's wager? You know, which is the idea that, you know, well, I'd rather bet on the existence of heaven which is a very wise thing to do and have to face the opposite, whether even if that's just extinction or eternal damnation. It's very wise. I'm going to take a wise step here, and since I don't know what's coming after, I'm going to go after Jesus' solution to this, because actually it looks a lot cleverer than not having any solution to life after death. And if eternity, you know, how wise... To just bet on eternity. Now, I'm not saying that's, that's how you become a Christian. But, you know, that could be a starting point, isn't it? It's an evangelistic conversation you can have with anybody, anywhere. So, kind of, what are the odds, do you think, of you getting into heaven? <laughs> but it's, it's, it's kind of, but, you know, how often do people confront that issue? Well, probably more often than they're prepared to admit but that's wisdom, isn't it? If you know that you are redeemed, redeemed is the picture of the slave market where you come, you know, you've been bought out, you've been, uh, Christ has died for you, he's paid the price for you. It's like you come out of the slavery of sin and you've come into, you know, under, uh, ownership under Jesus Christ, your Lord. But redemption goes way beyond that. Redemption is about the whole of the cosmos. It's about the whole universe that has been ruined by sin. Now being totally changed and redeemed so that there's a new heaven and a new earth. We are folks going to look back on this world and think, well, it seemed to go on a long time. 
But from our, from the eternal perspective, it was just a blink of an eye. And Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has made a way for us to actually see that. You know, once we were dead, now we're alive. Once we were blind, but now we see. So it's extremely wise to know that you're righteous, know that you're recreated, and know that you're redeemed, isn't it? Actually, not much else matters in comparison. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Right? If you've got a science degree, that's brilliant. If you've got an arts degree, that's brilliant. You know, if you've got, uh, if you're, whatever your job at the moment, and you are serving Christ faithfully in that, having dominion over creation, that's brilliant. So we're, we're, this is not about knocking learning. All right? Currently, halfway through, well, more than halfway now, actually, through an MA myself. So, you know, that learning is great, but wisdom, real wisdom, is embracing the plan and purposes of God for your life and for the people around you and for the whole community, the whole of our, you know, hopefully, you know, gathering up the nations. When we sing about the nations, we really do believe that we can change nations. Do you believe you can change nations? I believe that. I believe that Eastgate, well, Eastgate is already impacting nations. And we're not the only church around. But I, lo- I love the idea that you, as a church, you know, have you ever thought what it would be like to be the only church around? Well, actually, w- would you like a manual to know how to say, you know, see the world saved? You already have one. At one time, there was only one church around. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, who's still available today, just in case you weren't sure, <laughs> They changed the world, didn't they? They changed the world in all kinds of ways. One person at a time, one town at a time, one community at a time, one nation at a time. They just took God seriously. They dreamed big dreams. And, you know, God, uh, Jesus said, go into all the worlds and preach the gospel, making disciples of all peoples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded you. That, that, that great commission is at the, the, you know, the heart throb of what we do here. And just need to make that you know, your own. That's wisdom, isn't it? Wisdom is Jesus. Wisdom is powerful because it's Jesus. And wisdom is something that we need to embrace. Is there anything else I need to say before we finish? Oh, yeah. Let, just, let me just share this then. So Paul links, if you notice in that passage, he links power and wisdom. Kind of go hand in hand, don't they? They're very powerful. So he says, I came preaching with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So one of the ways that God's wisdom is different from human wisdom is human wisdom doesn't have power. I wouldn't say it has no power. You know, ideas are very powerful, aren't they? But actually, Paul is contrasting, because the Corinthians, if you know these few 
few chapters are arguing amongst themselves. Some saying I'm Paul of Paul, some of Apollos, some of Cephas. Paul is bringing them back to the one thing that they really need to believe and saying, you know, you think you're wise in separating into different groups and you think Paul, uh, Paulus is a better preacher perhaps than I, I am. That was one of the implications of what he said. And then there's Cephas and, you know, you're all dividing into different groups. You need to get back to real wisdom. You need to get back to what unifies you. And that, that unity comes out of the, you know, I came and I preached Christ to you and Christ crucified And in the preaching, there was power. And the thought there is that it's power both to convert people, but also the power of signs and wonders can encapsulate both ideas. And as we've discovered here, you know, Eastgate, that, you know, preaching of the gospel is it should be attended with signs and wonders. That's why we go for healing just about everywhere. Anybody fed up with healing yet? No, okay, that's right. Just just checking. (laughs) Because we believe that, the, that God's wisdom comes with it a demonstration of power. And if you were to kind of, um, if you were to ask the question, well, how do I get wisdom then? Come back next week, I'll talk about it. <laughs> Let me give you four, four areas that you find wisdom. Clearly you find wisdom in God's word, don't you? You find wisdom in prophecy. You find wisdom in words of wisdom. And you find wisdom, you know, in words of knowledge. Now, wisdom can crop up in other places, but those are four key areas. So simply reading God's word, you're imbibing the Holy Spirit's wisdom. You know that. You're good evangelical, charismatic Christians. I don't need to tell you that. You just carry on reading. You know, carry on enjoying God's word. Carry on wrestling sometimes with what it means so that you get to a place of wisdom. Learn both to prophesy and to be prophesied over because that is the wisdom of God coming to you, often in a very powerful way. You know, lots about prophecy and I'm not going to say much more about it. But the word of wisdom is an interesting one, isn't it? I'm not sure if I've ever heard a sermon on it. But um, Sean Boltz has this definition of what a word of wisdom looks like as distinct from a word of... In fact, he goes, I'll read you the three definitions. First of prophecy, he says this. Um, this is his latest book, God's Secrets. What a great title. Right? A life filled with words of knowledge. Um, prophecy is a word about the future that shows the plans that God has for someone or a group, region, or business. With prophecy, people's affections lie in the fact that God knows them and has plans for them. Knowing God's plans and future for their lives gives people the opportunity to partner with him to, exa- to, to him to actually see those plans fulfilled. I don't think that's the sum total of prophecy, but it's a good definition. So prophecy particularly is concerned with, you know, future plans. Words of wisdom are actual pieces of wisdom that come to us to help us know how to apply our plans and even other prophetic words in our lives. When it is a word, wisdom is like an instruction Think of it as heaven coaching, coaching you on how to plan and pursue who you are and what you're called to or how to love those who are your destiny. A word of knowledge includes supernatural revelation by the Holy Spirit about something that is important to God. While not solely discerned, the information includes specific facts. That's often what we think of as words of knowledge. I had a word of knowledge you know, about a specific thing. 
or person or time or something like that. Includes specific facts that will help bring God's knowledge through a manifest form into your life or into the life of someone you're ministering to and sharing God's heart. I've spent a lot of time praying to have more prophecy, to be able to prophesy over people. Uh, quite, not quite as much time praying over words of knowledge, but I have certainly prayed for that. Um, speaking in tongues, I think, helps in all those sort of areas. You know, it's the Holy Spirit kind of praying for you and imparting things to you without, you know, by, sort of neatly bypassing your mind. Not that your mind isn't important, but, you know, the, uh, that does, it does that. But not given much attention. I don't think we didn't give much attention to words of wisdom. All wisdom comes from the Holy Spirit, so we should expect sometimes for that to, well, often for that to come gradually as we read his word, as we grow in wisdom, but also kind of instantaneously. So, Lord, I need a word of wisdom. I need a problem solved. The reason Pete and Kim Carter went to Bethel for three months was because Dave Stevens, in a leadership meeting, said, Pete, have you thought about going there for three months or for a longer period of time? Which, after we prayed about it, became kind of three months. Amazing word of wisdom. What has come out of that word of wisdom? Huge things. Relationships with people like Danny Silk and others, all sorts of conferences that we've had here, a change of a culture. They get soaked in it and come back and pour it out to us. One word of wisdom, what can it do? That's amazing, isn't it? I suspect, my theory is that everybody that's ever invented anything has had that idea from God, whether they know it or not. So when we talk about words of wisdom, we are not just talking about, you know, church. That's the kind of mentality that, you know, we, we have, we love church. Fantastic. We have lots of words of wisdom about our church. But words of wisdom are for you every day. They're not just, uh, you know, like in, in some ways we've, we've done this with words of knowledge and we kind of put it in an evangelistic box. And it, and it thrives in an evangelistic box. Don't like the word box, but you know what I mean. You know, so, you know, when do you have words of knowledge? Oh, when, when I need to convince somebody that, you know, they, God loves them. And, and that's absolutely true. And we want all of that to continue and more. But you and I know that there are situations in our workplace, in our families, where we think, I'm so, I'm just desperate. Wouldn't it be great if I just had a supernatural revelation of wisdom for that situation? A supernatural revelation about how to get my colleagues to get on with one another. A supernatural revelation about how my business could thrive. A supernatural revelation about a new market we need to break into. A supernatural revelation that will bring an invention that will change the way that our engineering company produces its products. A supernatural you know, wisdom when I'm talking to clients or I'm on the phone or, or a supernatural information for my son and my daughter or, you know, whatever, or, or whatever you're about in your life. Do you want that? Is it available? If you lack wisdom, James 1.3, it says, ask. Ask in faith, not doubting. Believing that God will give you that, sometimes straight away, sometimes later. Kind of doesn't matter when you get, well, you know, can matter. Because sometimes, sometimes you need a word of wisdom right there, you know, in that situation, doesn't it? So, it would be wrong to say, it doesn't matter. But actually, God will put things into your head. 
and just bring them and, and be ready to receive that. But also just pray into the circumstances of your life and say, God, just give me wisdom. So we had lots of wisdom. We need lots of wisdom when we moved house. So we made a list of 12 things that we, uh, 13 actually, I think it was in the end, that we wanted in a house. And God gave us every one. It was wise (laughs) to do that. It's wise to be specific with God. God, I need this intervention into my work situation or my family situation or my community. Right? Where's the next, I mean, so you get this in the business world, is it? Where's the next big idea coming from? It'd be great if all the media came down to Eastgate and said, the next big idea in IT or whatever, you know, particularly IT perhaps, you know, came out of Eastgate Church. After Dave Webster preached an outstanding sermon about wisdom. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. <laughs> thought that was funny, but I'm not, and I'm <laughs> not trying to take any glory. <laughs> it's all yours. No, no, anyway. Um, let's pray. We're going to finish. But I want you to, you know, maybe you were thinking about this earlier, you know, of a situation, whether it's work or family or the community or indeed in the nation. You know, because the nation has heaps of problems, isn't it? We are, we are seeking wisdom about how to be a solution to the national health crisis and, you know, following that vision that Pete's pioneered of, you know, being a referral center, that's wise, isn't it? And I'm sure they had a strategy group meeting, you know, this week, and I'm sure God was giving wisdom about the next you know, step for that. And you need wisdom wherever you are. So just think in your mind's eye of the situation or a situation where you need wisdom. So Holy Spirit... We just ask you to release wisdom. We believe that you hold all the wisdom of the world and more. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You are greater. Your, your mind is incredible. And yet you have said to us, we have a mind of Christ. So we have all the solutions locked up, waiting to be revealed. It's that lovely Bill Johnson phrase, isn't it? God doesn't hide things from us. He hides them for us. And it's the privilege of royalty. That's you and me. It's the privilege of kings to seek out God's wisdom.